you. Good to be together this morning. We are going to take time uh, in God's Word to look at uh, a passage that relates to our new year. Next week we'll be back into our First Thessalonians series. Uh, so I wanted to take time this morning to, to reflect on uh, a key truth about our lives and just in light of the new year as we set priorities. I don't know if any of us take time in the new year to uh, evaluate and to make resolutions or whatever. Um, but I think in all of us, we have that tendency just to reflect and think. So I wanted to serve you uh, as your pastor. And by the way, if you're a guest here, welcome. Glad you're with us. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, Paul, Paul Buckley, and I get to bring uh, the God's Word most Sunday mornings. And I wanted to serve you guys just to prepare you for the year and to set your priorities uh, according to Scripture. And so I wanted to look at Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 to 42. And, uh, and as you're turning there, let me tell you a little background story. I was in, uh, in Ohio some years ago officiating a friend's wedding. Peg and I went and out near Cincinnati. We had a wonderful time um, there. And, and on Sunday after the wedding, we decided to go visit our friend's home church. Uh, we had heard great things about the church. They loved the church, and so we were excited to, to visit a, a different church. It's, as a pastor, you, you don't get many Sundays where you get to do that. Um, so we went there to worship God and be with our friends and be, be with God's people. The church was, uh, of course, a faithful church that loved Jesus and the good news of Christ and all that that means. But their service was a little different. One of the things that they did is they had a skit before the message. And the, the purpose of the skit, some churches do that, uh, the purpose of the skit was to set the theme for the message. We actually did that, didn't we, on, on Christmas Eve. Uh, but most Sundays we wouldn't do that. But this church did that. And so they had this short skit, and, and, um, and it was done fairly well. But one of the props in the skit was a neon sign. And it was supposed to light up and say something. I don't remember what it was supposed to say. But it was kind of an important part of the skit. And when it was time for the neon sign to light up, it didn't. And, and you know, everyone kind of noticed that. But it was like, okay. Uh, that's all right. You know, we, we got the point. Moving on. Then the pastor got up and got, brought God's Word and, and did a great job. It was encouraging. It was faithful. Uh, he did a fine job. And so after the service, I made it a point to go up to him and just thank him for serving and bringing God's Word and encouraging him. But the first thing that he said to me was, we're going to fix the sign for the second service. That was the first thing he said. And, and um, he seemed pretty flustered by the sign not working. And I just... I just kind of tried to redirect him away from the sign to the fact that he, what did work was God. <laughs> God worked. God's Word worked. And, and, and it was an encouraging time. And it didn't seem to get through to him. Uh, he was more focused on the sign. And I came away from that just thinking, God, would you help me not to do that? Um, not to be distracted by things not going well. To keep kind of the main thing the main thing. To keep the point focused. Uh, to not let the preparations in the work of a Sunday morning worship distract me from the whole point of Sunday morning worship. And I tell that story because it relates to our passage today, but it also relates to all of life because we are all, I think, just like that pastor. Uh, we can be distracted by things and miss the point, whether it's Sunday worship or life in general. And we have before us a wonderful story uh, about just this sort of thing that God has given to us so that we could learn this lesson and live in this lesson and really learn to live with the truth that the number one priority in our lives is to stay close to God. There's nothing better. To stay close to God, there's nothing better. That's our number one priority. That's the lesson actually of all of Scripture. 
the whole point of, of God coming to rescue us from our sin and engage us and, and lead us is that we would have Him. That we would be close to Him. And there's nothing better. There's nothing to compare with being with Him. Uh, so we're going to read God's Word. Let's pray and ask God to communicate to us what we need to hear because, again, we're just like that pastor. We're like Martha in the story. We need Jesus to speak to us, and He does that through His Word. So let's ask Him to do that. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You that You are merciful and patient and kind and good, and You want to rescue us from being distracted by the many things to live in and for the one thing. And so I pray as we look at this Scripture, would You give us eyes and ears to hear? Lord, would You help us to understand at a deeper level? It's easy to, to go past a passage like this. Perhaps for some of us, it's a familiar one. And miss the depth of the truth here. So help me, help us. And Jesus, would You show us how You are more than enough and You are our number one priority. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 10, verse 38 to the end of the chapter. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed Him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Him and said, Lord, do You not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. God's Word from Luke chapter 10. Well, I'm sure many of us are familiar with this story. It's a well-loved story. It's very real. It's straightforward, down-to-earth. It's simple and so relatable, yet full of really life-changing truth. This is a fantastic story and such a helpful story. And it starts out in the story, Jesus is, is coming into a village. He enters a village with His band of disciples. His band of disciples were anywhere from 12 to what 70 or 120. It could have been a large group. We don't know the exact size. Let's just assume it's 12. He comes into this village and he's welcomed into uh, the home of Martha. Uh, it, we know from elsewhere in Scripture that, that the village is, like, is likely Bethany. It's a village near Jerusalem. And that this is the family of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. We see them elsewhere in Scripture. And Martha welcomes them into uh, their home. And it, when it says welcomed them into her house, uh, it's not just like, hey guys, nice to see you. Come on in and spend a minute. No, this is classic biblical hospitality, ancient Near Eastern and even modern Near, Near Eastern uh, hospitality, which means mi casa es su casa. My house is your house. You come in and you get to enjoy everything in my house as if you were a family member. Actually, even more than that, you're more important than the family. And that's how hospitality was done. And so she, when it says she welcomes them into her house, that's what's going on. She's bringing them in to the house, uh, making them feel fully comfortable and honored and provided for. That's the context here. Um, Martha is uh, probably the oldest of the family. It appears that the, the family are, uh, is comprised of three single adults. 
uh, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. We don't know the story behind it. It, it appears just from the background, and actually I, uh, there's a house, remains of a house standing this day in, in the village uh, formerly called Bethany near Jerusalem. Uh, it's still there. It's, it's understood as their house. It's a fairly sizable house. Uh, it, it probably was that they were fairly well off. We don't know the background uh, to them. We don't know for sure, but, but uh, it's a fairly sizable house that can invite people in. And um, Martha is the oldest in the family. Actually, the name Martha means um, ma'am or mistress is not the best word, but it's the, basically a female lead. Uh, so it's either her given name or what she was called. Um, so she's in charge. She's in charge of, of the home. Uh, and and uh, Martha is a, a wonderful character in Scripture. So this, the point of this story is not to disparage Martha or Martha's. Uh, it, it's in, in many ways, as we look at the story and we see Martha elsewhere, she is quite a woman. She is a, a strong woman. She uh, is a godly woman. Uh, she's hardworking. She's responsible. She's practical. She's down to earth. She speaks her mind, and yet she's devoted to the Lord and others. It's a, she's a wonderful woman uh, in, in many, many ways. And, and if you are a Martha, uh, I want you to know that, that uh, God has gifted you in wonderful ways for the sake of others and His glory. It's a good thing to be a Martha. And we all tend, I think, to be Marthas to some degree. And some of us are very much like Martha. And some of us are more like Mary. Um, and sometimes Marthas and Marys have conflict as a result. But I want the Marthas in our presence to know uh, we're grateful for you. And Martha is not seen a as a negative character in Scripture. She's a positive, very positive character. Um, but she's real. She's gritty. She's kind of like Peter. She's kind of like the female version of Peter. You know, what you see is what you get with Martha. Uh, and, and she's faithful. Uh, and she's, she's in charge of, of this family. And, and there's things to learn in this story, not only about Martha, but about ourselves. This is here in Scripture, not just because it's a great story, um, though it is, but primarily because God wants us to learn certain things through this story. And, and so all of us, I think, should be able to identify something in ourselves that's like Martha. We all have these tendencies that Martha shows here, some of her weaknesses. Uh, and really, every... Every strength has a flip side weakness, at least with humans. And so uh, we see these things in, in, in Martha. We see ourselves in Martha. Um, maybe you've seen it this Christmas season. Maybe you've seen a little bit of Martha behavior this Christmas season uh, where you were all excited about the good thing about Christmas and doing things for the family, preparing the meals, buying the gifts, but soon uh, got distracted and even irritated by the season or people? Did anyone do that this season? You don't have to raise your hand, but, but I think if, you're gonna, if we're going to be honest, we put our hands up. Everybody probably to some degree, some of us to a great degree, right? Uh, so we have these tendencies. And so Martha, uh, in this story, uh, shows us this, this tendency of kind of a good thing gone bad. Um, and so she welcomes them in her home. It's a good thing. She's having Jesus and the disciples. She's honoring the Lord She's blessing others, uh, and, and she welcomes them in her home, and, and it goes from really good to bad. Uh, it starts off with good intentions, where she's, she's using her gifts to serve them. She's making them feel comfortable. She's providing a context where Jesus can rest with his disciples, have food to eat, and then have a context where he can teach. It's really good what she's doing. 
Um, and the story isn't saying she shouldn't do that. That's not the point. Uh, it, it's a good thing. Hospitality is a good thing. We're commanded to be hospitable. We're commanded to do these things. And yet, for different reasons, in the story we'll get into that, things go from good to bad. Uh, she gets lost, and we get, get lost at times in our preparations, in our serving. Uh, and, and it's sadly ironic in the story and in our lives that, that the things we plan to do to honor God and bless others end up being the things that distract us and, and cause us to even dishonor God and do the opposite of blessing others. We lapse at times in our service of the Lord into functional atheism where we're really not serving the Lord, we're caught up and we're distracted and we're irritated or anxious or doubtful or discouraged or fearful and we've forgotten God. So this story is for all of us who do that. And I think that means it's for all of us because we all do this at times. Uh, and, and so I want you to, to think practically as we go through this. And I want us, and when we're done, I think to actually uh, experience God and His truth coming in and speaking to specific situations. So my question is, what is the specific situation for you where you have been like Martha, where a good thing has gone bad? Maybe it's something that just happens once in a while at the holidays. Uh, maybe with family get-togethers. Or maybe it's something that's regular. Uh, there's many different things that we all face like this. It could, it could be things of uh, just caring for your family. Um, I can remember doing devotions with my kids uh, when they were young, it was like herding cats every single time. Uh, and, and it'd start out like, let's gather around and seek the Lord together to like, pay attention, miss you ungrateful kids. I do this all the time. You know how much work I put in? You don't listen to this. Listen to me ever. Um, and it's supposed to be devotions. Um, it could be something like that. It could be, um, it could be Sunday mornings, actually. Sundays, maybe it's hospitality. You're greeting, you're ushering, and you get distracted by the work, get tired of doing the work, and uh, maybe it's the worship team. It's hard work to be on the worship team. Uh, you have to practice, you have to prepare, and then you're standing up in front of everybody. So everybody gets to listen to you and evaluate your giftedness in, in music, right? Every single Sunday. That can be really tempting. Uh, and I'm so glad that our church gets the main point. That we're not doing that. Um, and, and so it's a great context to to lead in worship, but it can be hard. And then you can lose your way. Uh, children's ministry. Uh, working every Sunday to serve children, to teach children. That's, that can be uh, a tough task. Uh, it can feel thankless at times. Uh, by the way, I just want you to know, I've said this to others, if I weren't preaching here on Sundays regularly, my next choice to serve on Sundays would be in children's ministry. Um, there's a, all that we do here is important. Uh, but if, if I had to kind of rank priorities, I think the preaching of the Word is second, and then the teaching of the Word to children, preaching of the Word is first, <laughs> teaching of the Word to children is second. And then the other elements, singing together, uh, sacrament together, those are fall right alongside. So I just want you to know that in terms of children's ministry, very important ministry, and I encourage you to use your gifts, if you're gifted that way, to serve. And I think we all are to some capacity. But anyhow, if you're serving in children's ministry, it's easy to, to lose your way. So what is it for you? Uh, we're going to be doing Alpha. I know that there'll be temptations in Alpha at times. Um, and and it can, if you're in a group, sometimes it can get really crazy with people who don't yet know Jesus asking and doing crazy things, and you can lose your way. Why am I doing this? What, if I hear that question again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk out next time. 
Um, so for you, what is it? What is that thing? What is that context where you are tempted to lose your way, where you are tempted to take a good thing and have it go bad, as it happened with Martha? Now, what happens with Martha in the story is, is um, there are circumstances that, that occur. It's the pressure of hospitality, for sure, that's there. Uh, that she feels that pressure, that duty. She's a responsible person to entertain Jesus and her family. But in the story, the way it happens uh, as it proceeds for her, it, 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 I think we can kind of read between the lines here of, of what happens. Now, it says that uh, she has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. Um, that phrase there, we could just gloss over it and not catch it. It's a, it's a pretty dramatic statement actually. Um, not that she had a sister called Mary, but this, that her sister sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. So to provide some context for this, Jesus would have come in and this was, a, this was probably a, a larger house and there was an area for eating and they would have had a low table. They didn't have chairs and tables like we do. They had low tables and they would have pillows around the table and you would lean in on the table. So you would lean on the pillow and your feet would go out, kind of out in the aisleway type of thing. And so all the disciples would have been around the table and probably Lazarus and, and so forth. And, and then others would have been in the room as well. Neighbors would have come, the family. So that's where Mary is. And so Jesus is reclining at the table. He has a central place probably. Uh, and He's there and He's interacting. Uh, there's some sort of food and, and drink going on there on the table. He's interacting with people. He's leaning on the pillow and He's teaching. And so Mary is over here. That's when it says that she sits at Jesus' feet. Don't picture Jesus in a chair or standing. And, and you know, this is how I, I guess I always pictured it. You know, like people kind of huddled around here listening, looking up at him. Uh, no, uh, it more likely was he's at the table and he's leaning out and, and Mary's right there. She's, at, she's got one of the best seats in the house, basically. Sitting at his feet. There's another aspect to it as well uh, that is uh, dramatic that we might not catch. Uh, she's sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. And that's what disciples did in that day. So if you followed a teacher or a rabbi, uh, you would listen to his teaching. You would follow his teaching. You would take in his teaching. You would memorize his teaching. By the way, that's important background to how we were given the Scriptures. The disciples, uh, the culture was very good at memorization. And the disciples would have memorized everything that Jesus said. They would have learned it. He would have repeated it. And they would have memorized it all. So you would sit at his teaching. You'd take it in. You'd memorize it. You'd internalize it. And you'd seek to obey it and follow it and follow after Jesus. And, and so the, the radical part is that this is a woman doing that. And in that day, that was pretty much unheard of. Um, and so the statement, she has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching, is a dramatic statement in those ways. But it's also dramatic because she, uh, her sister Mary would have been expected to have helped in hospitality. And so... Uh, right away there's a problem here. And it's a problem for Martha. Uh, and, and I think we get that in the story, reading it in our culture, even more so, it would have been more greatly amplified in their culture. That, wow, she's sitting at his feet as a disciple, listening and enjoying him, and she should have been with Martha. And so you can kind of picture maybe what happened. Uh, you know, first they arrive. Uh, they didn't have cell phones, so you didn't know they were coming. Uh, all of a sudden they were there. And they arrived, and I'm sure that they greet them. Oh, Jesus and your disciples. Wow. Uh, so glad you're here. And then they were invited into the house. Mary was probably involved in that. And, and perhaps 
uh, right away, you know, you're bringing them in, you're going to offer them food, you're going to offer them uh, the best food you have available. Probably going to have to get working on cooking things and, and preparing meals. Uh, and so that's what was going on. And I imagine Mary was involved. I don't think she sat down right away. I imagine she was involved with entertaining and, and helping. But my guess is as she went in and out, uh, maybe the first serving or the second or the third of bringing something in, she just was thinking, this is too good to pass up. This is too good to miss out on to hear Jesus. And maybe something he said caught her attention. And so she put down her serving basket and just sat there. And that's how the story goes. And, and, uh, and Martha probably at some point uh, was working hard and, and, and all of a sudden noticed, where did Mary go? Where'd she go? Have you ever been in that situation where you're working hard on something and you think you got help and all of a sudden it's like, where'd everyone go? Why is it just me? That's what happens to, to Martha. She, Mary disappears, uh, and she's wondering, and maybe at first she's thinking, oh, okay, I get it, you know, Jesus is here. You know, maybe for, for a minute to pause and stuff, but it continues. Uh, and she has to continue to work by herself. And, and so in the story, at some point, you know, the, the, the fuse blows for Martha, right? We don't know what happened. Maybe, you know, she's working on her famous lentil stew, and uh, baking the bread, and she bumps into the stew, and it tips out onto the floor, and boom, the fuse is blown. And at that point now, it changes for Martha. Everything changes. Um, and we don't know what she said or did, but I, I can imagine certain things going through her head at this point. Because I've been there, and I think you guys have been there. You can imagine what, what she was thinking, perhaps. Like, boy, it would be really nice to be Mary sit around and let everyone else do the work. I'd like to be Mary. Um, if it wasn't for Mary, the stew wouldn't have fallen on the ground because she's supposed to be in here helping. Every, ever since we were little kids, she always did this. I'm the only one that gets anything done around here. She never helps. And, and, and it seems in the storyline that it goes beyond that because it's not just about what Mary didn't do uh, for Martha. She actually... Uh, ends up having an attitude towards Jesus in the, in the story. We'll get to that and we'll see. So, she hasn't, so it goes from attitude towards her sister to an attitude towards Jesus. And so you, know, you can imagine what she was thinking there. I mean, like, Jesus, I, I, I love you and I think you're the Messiah, but, but uh, could you maybe give me a heads up next time? Not just show up at the door with you and your hungry disciples? Um, uh, you know, we... we What's going on? And, and if you're a prophet, why are you letting this happen? Don't you see? I'm here. I'm all flustered. I'm busy. I can't do this on my own. And, you're, and you know Mary's right there. You're a prophet. What's going on here? You're not helping me, Jesus. You and Mary are in cahoots to, to make it so that I have to get all the work done. Um, and so those are the sorts of things that I think are going on uh, in her mind. And so she marches into the room. And it says, uh, Martha was distracted with much serving. Uh, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? The, that, the wording there actually uh, is maybe less dramatic in the English than it ought to be. Uh, she went up to him. Um, it isn't like she just kind of walked in. The word actually means she confronted him. Um, so, so she marched up to him. So picture her marching in the room and hands on the hip standing over Jesus and saying this. That's, that's the picture here. So her attitude had been, had been like, 
oh, Jesus is here. I get to serve and do all these things for Him and, and, and love what He's doing. He's my Lord. I'm going to use my gifts to now she's got an attitude towards Mary and an attitude towards Jesus. And she says, Lord, don't you care? So now the problem is not with Mary, it's with Jesus. He doesn't care about her. That's where she's gone with her attitude. Um, and, and what does she say? Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Um, and and the, uh, the way that she says it actually is even stronger than that as well. Uh, it, it could, you could say, don't you care that my sister has abandoned me and left me all alone to serve? And that's a picture of, of Martha's heart at this point, right? Lord, don't you care? And I'm all alone. My sister has abandoned me and I'm the only one doing anything. I'm all by myself here preparing this meal, trying to take care of you people. That's what's going on in Martha's heart. You guys relate to that? Have you ever had a moment like that? Have you had it recently? I think so. I have. I'm tempted at times. And I can do the same thing. Uh, and I can kind of elevate it to this point where it goes from good to bad and, and, and like Martha, uh, cap, captive to these many things. And, and saying things like, why always me? Why am I the only one? Why does this have to happen? God, can you give me a break, please? And so it goes from being upset about the thing to being upset with God. And that's what's going on in the story. It's interesting just to, to look at it and think about it. Now, we don't know what Martha was thinking, so I'm, I'm speculating, but I'm, I'm doing it based on what we know of ourselves and what I know of human nature and likely what was behind it and I think what's even implied in the story. Um, and, and it's interesting just to think about her heart and what went on. It says that she was distracted with much serving. Isn't that interesting? Interesting combination of phrases. Distracted with much serving. Serving is about helping others. She's distracted with that. She's distracted. It can also be translated, she's taken away. She's drawn away. Um, and I, to be even more dramatic, I would say she was kidnapped by the serving. It took her captive and took her into a lonely place, a land of loneliness and stress without God. That's what, what happened. So her serving, the things that she was supposed to do to help out that were good things, in her response to those things, something happened where she was actually kidnapped by her interpretation of those things and ended up living in a world where there was no God and she was all by herself. That's what happens to her in the story. And, and uh, again, it goes from good to bad. And, and I think it's insightful. Uh, it's helpful for us to to look at it and think about this and to think about ourselves. To think about our own experiences like this and to put them in the same framework. Have you ever been distracted by serving? Have you ever been distracted by the things that you're doing? And, and, and what goes on here is, is she goes from the things that she's doing, she gets distracted and tempted by those things, and... And it ends up being, for her, her interpretation of it is, is the problem is ultimately with Jesus. The problem is with her sister as well. And the problem is with the things. But the real problem with Martha 
is her heart. How she interprets the things. Something has gone on in the process where she's lost God in it, right? That's what's going on. Because hospitality is a good thing. We're called to hospitality. We're called having received, been welcomed by God uh, through Christ, through Christ's death and resurrection now, through faith in Him. We are welcomed into the family of God and we have full rights as sons and daughters. We are brought in and beloved by God. And therefore, we're called to extend the same sort of hospitality to others, to, to practice it. So it's a good thing. What she does is a good thing. But she starts to interpret it in light of the circumstances in a negative way. She starts to think about the tasks in and of themselves. She loses Jesus is what happens. And she ends up living in functional atheism. Have you ever done that? I do that all the time. I can get caught up in preparation for things and I, and I forget about the Lord. I start thinking about the task and it has to be done. And then I start framing the task in these ways where are very delusional ways. Where basically, if I don't get this done right, things will fail. If I don't get this right, you know, then, then something bad will happen. And I do this all the time as a pastor. I'm tempted by this all the time. I think, you know, if, if I don't prepare right, then this terrible thing will happen to the church. You know, or, and, 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 and there's no God in that equation. I think it depends on me. And I've got to do this right. Uh, and so I lose God in the thing. And, I, and, I, and what becomes my functional God in that case? Where am I putting my hope? Whom am I depending on in that scenario? Myself. I've forgotten about God. And I've thought, I've got to do it. And so it becomes self-sufficiency. I forget about depending on God. I forget about God's grace. That God's grace covers all my sin and is sufficient in all my weakness. And He's a gracious, patient God. And my best efforts are never going to be perfect. And yet He uses those efforts to do good things. It's His grace. I live in His grace. I've been accepted by Him in His grace. And even if I should fail in this role, I'm still accepted and His grace is still there. I have nothing to fear in the Lord. I can live in His grace. I can live in that forgiveness and that acceptance and that empowerment because His grace brings gifts to use to do good things. And so, I can, can and I'm meant to encounter God in the serving and depend on God in an active, real way. But that's not what I do. I lose my way, right? Uh, and I start thinking it depends on me. And if I don't do this right, then terrible things will happen. And I don't know if you've ever had that. Usually it's nebulous. It's irrational. It's just a sense. Somehow, you know, I'll, all of Christianity will come crashing down if, if I don't remember, you know, to, to whatever. Have that illustration in my sermon or whatever it might be or that detail. Um, and so I become, I become God in my life in that case. It all depends on me. Um, and it... And, it's all from my strength. And that never works. It never works. It never works. We're not made to be God. <laughs> and, and it's our uh, insane disposition, actually, to replace God with ourselves all the time. We do it. We depend on ourselves. We become self-sufficient. We don't depend on Him. And we don't do it for Him. And we lose our way, like Martha did. And soon in that place, we feel all alone. And soon in that place, we start blaming others. It's the thing. If I didn't have so much to do, I wouldn't be so angry. If those people didn't always need that thing, or if they helped me more, I wouldn't be so upset. If God cared a little bit more about me and made life a little easier, I'd be better. Have you ever thought those thoughts or said those things? 
think we all have. And that's what's going on with Martha. We face these anxieties because we lose God. The anxiety itself is generated, I believe. There's a degree of anxiety we can feel even abiding in the Lord. We can be close to Him and still feel like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Like Peter did when he walked out on the water, right? Jesus said, walk out on the water. He starts walking on the water. And, and then he, Jesus is right there. <laughs> and he takes his eyes off of him. So there's a degree of anxiety, and I don't think we should be anxious about having some anxiety. Um, but it's when it goes to the next step, the next level uh, of anxiety where we, where we are captive to anxiety because we've forgotten the Lord um, in those things. We're not depending on Him. We're not doing it for Him and for others. It happens all the time to all of us. And this story in Scripture is given to us to rescue us. Not just from the circumstances, but even from the lifestyle of self-sufficiency and anxiety and worry. And, and, and if you put yourself in the place of God, you're either going to be angry or depressed. Because you're never going to get your way. It's not going to work. You're going to be angry or depressed. You're going to be prideful if it goes well. Or you're going to be sorrowful and full of self-pity if it doesn't. That's what Martha does in the story. And that's what we do. And God's given us His story to rescue us. He's given us His Word to, to help us in these things. Um, and and I, I believe that, th that those moments are the moments in our lives where we are tempted actually and, and there can be spiritual warfare. Now in this story, we don't see spiritual warfare, but, but I think that there's a passage of Scripture that I think is really helpful as a truth that applies to this story. And that's in 1 Peter chapter 5. And here is a key, if you could project that. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-10. through 10. Here is truth that I think is a key to helping us be successful in those Martha moments. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him. Because He cares for you. And then it says this, Be sober mindful, be so reminded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So in this passage, we have a call to cast our anxieties on Him. We have the reality of the enemy looking for someone to devour. And then we have the reality of sufferings and God's relief. It's all connected. This is a whole passage that goes together. And so the reality is, guys, that we will face adversity. We will face circumstances where we feel unable and overwhelmed. We are going to face circumstances like Martha did, feeling like, I can't do it. It's just me in the kitchen. There's nothing wrong with saying that and feeling that. That's not the problem. It's what do you do next? And 1 Peter 5 says, cast your anxieties on the Lord because He cares for you. He cares for you. He loves you. He wants to be there with you. He wants to help you in that situation. And if you don't cast your cares on the Lord knowing that He loves you, what happens? You are vulnerable to the devil who prowls around looking for someone to devour. You know, his devouring and his looking around happens in these circumstances. That's the background to Martha's story. She's in that place. She's not casting her anxieties. And the enemy comes in and tempts her. And she starts to reinterpret everything in a, really a demonic way. It's about Mary. It's about the things. It's about Mary. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the problem here. God's the problem here. 
And 1 Peter 5 tells us to resist Him. To be firm in our faith. Knowing that adversity is common to everybody. And the God of all grace who has called you into His eternal glory in Christ. This God of grace and glory is with you. He's going to meet you in the circumstances. And when you get through it on the other side, He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will get you through and it will be even better when He's done. That's the truth. That's the rescue for Martha's and for us. And then we see it phrased and put differently here in Jesus' interaction with Martha. So backing up, Martha walks in the room, hands on hips, accuses Jesus, and and says uh, it's Jesus' fault. And then it's, it's really amazing. She says, tell her then to help me. She commands Jesus. She takes over Jesus, basically. The sovereign Lord of the universe, she commands Him to do something. Tell her then to help me. Jesus, you're messing up. I know what you need to do. Get my sister off her rear end and helping, and that'll take care of all of this. She commands Jesus. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I think that was a lightning thunder sound someone just made. And that's appropriate. Think of this is God. This is the holy, infinite, glorious God who's all wise, only good, always. And yes, we could expect Jesus to turn to her and say, are you talking to me? But He doesn't. It's amazing what He does. He says to her, Martha, Martha. We don't have uh, this in our language. We end up, we, when we want to personalize a name, we add something to it, right? A nickname or we say dear so-and-so. That's what he says here. It's not just Martha, the normal one. It's called the vocative. And it's basically the best in English is dear Martha or my good friend Martha, my sister Martha. And he says it twice. So it's double the endearment. Martha. Dear Martha. It's amazing. It's amazing that he answers her that way because he sees everything. He knows what's going on. He's, he's God in the flesh. He has full access. He is fully God in all the characteristics of the deity. Now he humbles himself in the practice of those things as the God-man, but he's fully aware. He knows what's going on in Martha. He knows her heart. He knows the whole circumstance. He knows all that's going on here for Martha in this story. He knows the ugly self-righteousness, the pride, the jealousy, the indignation, her unbelief, her self-sufficiency. He knows the blackness of her heart at this moment. And He knows the blackness of your heart at your moments like this as well. He knows it all and the horror of it. And it's amazing. He says, Martha, dear Martha, with tenderness and care. He is a God of amazing mercy and grace. Patience and love. And He's bridging the gap between her terrible heart and behavior and His infinite holiness by His love. And He did it on that day and He's going to do it on a coming day in the storyline. 
where he's actually going to go to the cross and hang on the cross and receive holy justice for Martha's, Martha's sin, for all of it, for all of her attitudes, all of her darkness, all of her sin. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to shed His blood as God in the flesh to pay for her sins and then rise again on the third day to rescue her from herself and her sin. That's the amazing love of God in Christ for Martha and for us. Thank God we have such a Savior who loves us and is patient with us. And has given Himself to us in such a way to rescue us from this. And He wants to rescue Martha from this in every way. And so, it operates in the story that He instructs her. He speaks to her about what's going on. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Martha, you are living in anxiety. You're upset. You've been consumed by your worry and the way that you've dealt with these many things. All these preparations, all these different things that you think you must do, they have carried you away into anxiety and trouble. You are anxious and troubled about many things. What a picture of life apart from God. That's what's going on here. And then he gives the contrast, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. So the answer to Martha is that she turned from being worried and upset about many things to be occupied with the one thing. With the one thing. The one most important thing. And the way it's said by Jesus is there's a qualifier in it. There's one ultimate thing. But there's not one exclusive thing. And what I mean by that is, is this is not a story. It's been used this way in the past. In medieval ages, it was used as, as kind of contrasting the Mary life from the Martha life. And that you, if you really wanted to follow Jesus, you need to get away from the many things, the duties of regular life, and go live in a cave somewhere and just pray and contemplate all the time. That's not what this is teaching. That Jesus is not saying, Martha, don't do the many things. He's saying one thing is supreme and most important. And one thing is truly necessary and essential. And Mary has chosen this thing, this good portion. It's interesting he uses the word portion. That's in Scripture often. This idea of portion. Of, of your part. And, and I don't know for sure, but, but if you remember, uh, I think he's referencing Martha is serving portions to people. And she's worried about the many portions to give to everybody. And she gets caught up in those many things. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the one portion, the most important portion, to be with me, to be at my feet, to know me and to enjoy me, and to find her life in me, to draw her life from me so that she can give my life to others. She has chosen this one thing. And it's not going to be taken from Mary. It's not going to be taken from her now or ever. It will not be taken away from her. This is the answer that Martha needed, that Jesus brings. And really, all of Scripture brings this answer to us. This one thing that is necessary, that is to be the center and to drive everything else. Everything is to orient around this one thing. John 17, uh, verse 3 says something very parallel to this. 
Jesus is talking to his father as he prays for his disciples. And he says, and this is eternal life. To do many things and to be really busy, to make a full use of of your life and be occupied, getting things done. And if you can finish your to-do list, then you've really made it. No, this is eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. This is what life is about. To know God, to love God, to enjoy God, to depend on God. We're made to depend on Him. Always and in every way. To long for Him. To seek after Him. To enjoy Him. To find Him as our highest goal. Our greatest pursuit. Our greatest pleasure. Our greatest strength. Our everything. This is Moses' prayer. We looked at this recently in Exodus. Where Moses is interacting with God and God is saying that He's going to withdraw His presence from His people. And Moses says in Exodus 33, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. Moses was hungry for the one thing that is necessary. And he knew that it defined him and it defined the people of God. And it's what Martha forgot. She forgot this one thing. And the many things had taken her away, taken her captive in her interpretation of the many things. Rather than coming to Jesus and finding her answer. And saying, along with David, as he says in Psalm 16, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Brothers and sisters, and all of those who are here, really all humanity, the call of the Lord is to find your life in Him and to live in Him at every moment, to depend on Him and His grace, to to remember what He's done for us in Christ. He's provided for us that we might have fellowship with Him. The point of the Gospel, the point of the good news, the point of Jesus' dying for your sins on the cross so your sins could be paid for and rising again in victory over sin and death is so that you could have God as a result. That you could come into fellowship with God and know God and relate to Him and live with Him. The Gospel ultimately is so that we can have God in all of His goodness and all of His glory. And to live with Him now and forever. And to do our tasks that way as well. Martha wasn't called to drop the tasks. She was called to take the Lord into her tasks. To have the one thing at the center as she did those tasks. As the band comes up, let me ask for you, again, what are those things that tempt you to take you away from the one thing that is necessary? What are those things? And maybe what is the one thing that you can think about? 
what I want to do is, as we transition into communion and then song, and it's just to ask you to take time right now just to close your eyes and think of that one thing. And first, tell the Lord, I'm sorry that I've made it about me or getting it done and I've lost you. Please forgive me. Help me now enter into my life in this area. Help me to learn to live keeping you as the one thing. We're to have him with us all the time. In in the Peanuts uh, comic strip, we meet Linus. And if you know the story of Linus, he had a security blanket, right? He always had it with him. And if you took it away from him, he got sick. Jesus is to be our security blanket. And the reality is, we're all like that. It's how he's designed us. We need him with us in everything. Whatever we may be doing, whether it's moments of being quiet and just listening and praying, or moments of serving in, in the different ways we're called, we're called to keep him with us, ever before us, to do what David did. He set the Lord always before him. So let's just take a moment and cast our anxieties on him, ask him to forgive us for living dependent on ourselves, and invite him in to meet us and to help us that we could be as Mary as we live our Martha lives, and also as we have our merry moments of quietness. So let's do that, and then we'll transition to communion.